Should we take advantage of the benefits of our earthly citizenships? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, we are continuing in Acts this week. This is nice. We get two in a row so far. Uh, maybe we'll even get three. I haven't looked that far ahead in, on our uh, on our list. Yeah, it's good to know people people can be reassured. We're we're holding things down here on on the Hero of the Story podcast. We we know what's going on up and up until this episode. Yep, that's right. That's right. You know, that's it's humble. That's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be that's humble we're here. Humble and transparent. Those are Christian virtues, right? I, I think so. I think so. I hope so, because, you know, certainly <laughs> I aspire to be those things. I fail miserably almost all the time, but I'd like to be. Anyway, so we are looking at a chunk of Acts 22 and 23 today. And so this is this is where things are rapidly reaching the conclusion of Paul's adventures as he goes forth and proclaims the gospel. And so the question that we that we let off this que- this episode with does play a key role in this passage that we're going to look at as we see how Paul navigates a, a very difficult situation where he experiences opposition from a Jewish mob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh, how about you kick us off with setting up some context for where we're going to go, then I'll read the passage and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great thing to do always before you get into the biblical text, find out what the context is so that you can uh, best understand the, the situation you're, you're reading about. Uh, I was just going to say to follow to bring some continuity to it with last week as we saw the the riots in Ephesus uh, bring out among the Gentiles. We'll see that uh, uh, Paul is somewhat of an equal opportunity uh, riot uh, focus, I, I guess you could put it that way, uh, here uh, with with the Jews, actually, um, the Jewish community uh, getting in an uproar over uh, Paul's teaching in, in the context of Jerusalem. And what we'll be seeing here, uh, both leading into the passage and into the passage itself that we'll that, that you'll read in a moment, Aaron, is that uh, Paul uh, gets arrested as a result of these uh, of these this rioting, this this mob activity uh, on the part of the Jews. They're accusing uh, Paul of leading people away uh, from loyalty to the law and teaching of Moses. Uh, with uh, with his uh, teaching and leading in the in the in the Christian community, and that Jesus is the Messiah and the and the and the one who uh, came to uh, redeem us from the from the law of Moses, as it were. And so it's it's very interesting as you have Paul uh, taking this uh, Nazaritic vow uh, with some other other men, and they're doing so in order to build some rapport among the uh, the Jewish community that were accusing them of misleading people about the about the law of Moses but nonetheless because of Paul's teachings because of his claims of his claims to have an authority from the Lord in order to uh, teach about Jesus as the as the Messiah and, and this this righteous suffering servant uh, th- this still did not make uh, the Jewish uh, crowd uh, happy and so the Romans, uh, looking to get to the bottom of this, they are seeking to keep the peace. They arrest Paul, and which ends up working 
for, for his own good. And eventually they would, they would send him uh, to the governor of Caesarea. And as, as you see, as the narrative of Acts unfolds toward the end, Paul does make it to Rome. Uh, but before that, uh, Paul had the opportunity to defend himself before uh, these Jewish crowds, and he declared his Jewish pedigree, his testimony, his, his conversion, and that, that the Lord himself, uh, ha who, who Paul sees as Jesus, uh, commissioned uh, him to go forth and uh, proclaim the, this message about uh, Jesus as the, as the risen Messiah. Uh, but when he did that in front of the Jewish crowd, uh, they, they still were not happy. This did not bring things to a to a piece, it didn't help the uh, Ro the the Roman uh, Tribune um, get to the bottom of things, so that they could uh, uh, restore uh, peace here in uh, in Jerusalem. And so, uh, the the as I mentioned earlier, the the, the Romans um, arrest Paul, and this works out to Paul's own good. But when they're really trying to get what's going on with Paul, uh, they're going to, they're, they look to pursue some form of a torture to extract, okay, what, what's, what's going, going on here? And Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship. We'll see, uh, how that, how that plays out here in the, in the, in the passage, but there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, recurring themes, important themes, uh, from both Luke's gospel narrative and also an acts that we'll see sort of come to the, to the, to the surface here. And uh, in this passage, we'll see, that there's even a plot on Paul's life over over the teaching and influence he was having uh, among the among the Jewish community. Yeah. So, sorry, probably took longer than I should there, but I uh, hope hope it's helpful to our listeners. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we did just take a uh, three chapter jump in the narrative, so I think it's okay. <laughs> well, good. As long, if you're okay, I'm okay. So, uh, hey, I'm always we'll, okay. Go with it. All right, let's do this. All right, so uh, I'm going to read uh, read this chunk of Scripture. It's going to be big, so I'm going to take a deep breath, and we're going to get started. So, starting at Acts 22, verse 30. The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and, the, and all the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down and placed him before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good consciousness to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law you are ordering me to be struck? Those, starting near, uh, those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, Paul replied, for it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out to this in the Sanhedrin, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently, We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, 
take him away from them and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. When it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse, not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. They, there were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander and that he be brought, that he bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. But the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to, to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took, the, took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, What is it you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow, as though they're going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you, because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they've killed him. Now they're waiting. Uh, now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. And he summoned two of the centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Also provide mounts so that Paul may be brought safely to Felix the governor. That's a pretty dramatic little bit of a uh, little bit of storytelling there. Pretty intense. Yes. Yes. Acts is full of drama for sure. Absolutely. So. Uh, let's, let's dig into this and, uh, start by asking, what are some questions that, uh, that, that help us understand this passage? Yeah, well, first, I think a, a good question is why did the Romans even care what happened to Paul? Why did, uh, they go to these lengths to protect him as the, as the Jews uh, sought him harm and, and trying to get, get at him and to falsely accuse him and to have some sort of mock trial and uh, as it seemed to be the case and the reason that the romans would the the roman guard you could say the roman tribune the soldiers would would care about this is that uh, rome had really strict laws about how its citizens should be treated so paul if you look uh, several verses uh, before uh, our section that we read today um and in acts 22 mainly verses 25 through 29 You'll see that Paul discloses that he's a Roman citizen. So are you going to, are you going to whip? Are you going to torture a, a Roman citizen in this way? So this is something the, Ro the these Roman soldiers wanted to look into and ascertain because if they were abusive, if they mistreated uh, a Roman citizen, there was severe penalty uh, for them. It even goes on where the, the commander of, of this uh, group of soldiers you know, boasts about it took a it took a good sum of money for him to buy his citizenship, and you're just going to flippantly appeal to it. And Paul notes that he was born a Roman citizen, and that's where uh, you know Paul is a, is a Greek name, Paulos, and it comes from his father's um, heritage, right? Mm -hmm. As a as a as a um, as who was also a Roman citizen. 
So uh, this this shows that uh, uh, Paul, in order to uh, escape uh, some level of pain, suffering, uh, and persecution, uh, did did appeal to his rights as a, as a citizen uh, with, within that society. So that's something that's not bad uh, to do in itself. Even though he was commissioned to suffer for the sake of Christ, uh, he nonetheless uh, appealed uh, uh, to his uh, rights as a Roman citizen. And uh, we see how the how the Ro- Roman army uh, was willing to go to these links to to protect him. So his arrest, in some ways, uh, was was for his own for, for his own good and his protection from the from the Jewish leaders who were seeking his harm. Yeah, that is really helpful for us to pay attention to that. That he wasn't afraid to use that when it was mm-hmm. necessary, um, and so. Th- Keep that, in, listeners. Keep that in the in the back of your mind um, as we as we continue. But the next thing that we want to talk about here in this is uh, really why were the the Pharisees and Sadducees? Why did they start arguing with one another when realistically both of them wanted wanted Paul and his ministry stopped? They were very happy to have this to to get rid of this guy. Um, well. Think, look as you look at the narrative, you you see pretty quickly that although they were, uh, they were united in their desire to see Paul go away, they were not exactly friends. They were very much actually on uh, on very opposite sides of some significant theological disagreements, and Paul and took advantage of this. Right. See, the the Pharisees were were more supernaturalist in their. View so they believed in the resurrection from the dead. They believed that angels and demons and supernatural beings those existed. They they had room in their theology for miracles, things like this. Um, this is why, for example, you never see them actually deny that, uh, like try to offer a you know a materialistic, naturalistic interpretation of the things that Jesus did during his ministry or that the apostles did. Following the um, following the coming of the Holy Spirit and and all of these kinds of things, they didn't fight about those. They agreed something supernatural happened. They just didn't like Jesus, so they weren't sure mm-hmm. about the source. Um, a helpful way to think about the Pharisees, and and this is a little bit contentious, but it, but it's important. Is in a very real sense, they were the equivalent of our modern day fundamentalists in. In really every sense of that word, so they they held to that they held to that true that true reality that yes there is a supernatural that this is a supernatural world, um, it's not merely what we can experience with our senses, um, that there's something more than that. Um, as we know from the way that they practiced their faith, um, they went far far beyond um, what would be considered really true true orthodoxy into um, into something that's highly legalistic and thus entirely unorthodox. And so that's something that we see in the worst of fundamentalists as well. The Sadducees on the flip side, they were naturalists or materialists. And so they in their in their faith and practice denied the resurrection. And so they and so there was no category for supernatural beings, miracles and and so forth. Um, and so they would actually be the equivalent of the modern-day theological liberal, which tends to lean highly anti-supernatural, 
and often redefines key issues, including things like the resurrection and the deity of Christ. These these two categorical errors still exist today, both in really both in Christianity, but also in um, modern day Judaism as well. Although mm-hmm. it's largely the Sadducees who've ruled the day. Yeah, even if they don't call themselves Sadducees, they cer- certainly take on that that spirit of kind of a more rationalistic, non-supernatural, yeah. uh, religious tr- tradition and understanding yep. of things. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So Paul was really savvy to this reality. He, he knew who was in the room. He knew what each side believed, and he used that to his advantage. And he he called out the fact that he was a Pharisee and that he was the son of Pharisees as well. And so that immediately put the Pharisees on his side and ignited that uh, mob attack, basically, as as both sides started warring against one another. And and that's just a little bit of a reminder for us because there's a tendency to uh, to to take the proverbial saying the enemy of my enemy is my friend um, <laughs> a little bit too close to heart because while enemies can make uh, strange strange bedfellows at times. Um, united in a shared cause we have to remember that uh, that that's only going to last for a little while and uh, and eventually they're always and eventually and inevitably they're always going to go back to attacking one another another way to say it is is don't give a cobra a hug not, not i've not heard of that proverb before but that's a <laughs> that's an interesting way to to express that that, that one that I, I don't know if that one is uh i don't know if that one's original to me but if it is uh you know don't give coined. a cobra a hug I, I like it i, I like <laughs> i've always liked snakes since i was a kid but so anytime we can refer to snakes i'm i'm usually uh engaged uh, another yeah, uh, I noticed that and, actually. You you perked up extra. <laughs> yeah, I heard the word cobra. You just don't, and it had nothing to do with GI Joe. Yeah, um, I mean, we uh, could also say don't, uh, uh, you know, don't give a koala bear a hug or get between it and um, and its eucalyptus because yeah, those things are mean. Oh, I guess they are, but they just don't sound as manly or, or scary. Um, no, as no. a cobra as a cobra does. Nope. Um, I was I was going to interject here too that. Uh, Paul's a good model also that shows that oftentimes if you're uh, preaching the gospel rightly, you're going to have people mad at you from both sides, both liberal and conservative. Yeah, and that, so that's generally just, a good sign you're doing it yeah, right. Yeah, it's not just try to find, okay, what's the most perser- conservative position to take on something, and that means that's that's where the, that's where the gospel truth is, and ne- neither is it to find the most progressive and um, and what might be perceived as the most compassionate uh, view uh, on a uh, contemporary issue, and think, well, that that's where the that's where the gospel mindedness uh, lies. Uh, no, it's uh, sometimes faithfulness will. It's not that the truth's always in the middle, but the gospel will call all parties to repentance in, in, in some way because no no human society, no group has everything entirely right. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a there's a element of the gospel that needs to be emphasized where it's being neglected among among all parties and so paul's a paul's an example here where he's showing how there is some continuity and overlap with what he believes is a christian about the resurrection and the pharisees affirmation of, of the resurrection but even still then uh that they fall short of of a proper understanding of the of the purpose of the law which we, we've talked about in other episodes uh, and, um, and then with the, with the Sadducees, uh, they also would have a misunderstanding of the law, but on top of that, 
there's this this there's this lack of uh, acknowledging the the supernatural uh, realities that the Bible attests to. All right, Josh. So what about uh, what about Paul using his citizenship? What should yeah, we understand well, about that? It ties into a theme throughout uh, Luke and Acts of this this suffering for the the sake of the kingdom of God. And pretty soon after we uh, hear of Paul's uh, conversion and his being commissioned by Jesus, the Damascus Road experience, as it called, where Jesus appears to him when he's on the way to arrest Christians. Um, and he hears uh, the Lord call out, call out to him and ask, why are you persecuting me? And he's referring to Paul's active persecution of, of the church. Uh, one, of the, one of the expressions uh, used in that narrative in Acts 9 is actually when Jesus is speaking to Anna, Ananias and says that Paul, the reason you're to go to him, because at first Ananias is, is a bit um, hesitant saying, have you, have you, do you know to whom you're sending me, Lord? Uh, this man has a reputation of persecuting the church. He says, he says, no, to go forth and, and talk to this man and minister to him and, and lead him into the, um, lead him into the fellowship, into fellowship with the church, telling what he needs to do and 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 gaining after he gains his sight back and, and so forth and he says this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the gentiles kings and israelites i will show him how much he must suffer for my name remember that that's jesus speaking so we're seeing that play out through uh, through luke's narrative always uh, pay close attention to to wording of authors no no word just like every uh seen in a movie every frame in a movie is is not wasted it's it, it's not uh just there for happenstance or at least if you're a good director it's not and yeah. luke's a luke is efficient with his with his words uh though he's 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 detailed he's descriptive like you would expect of an historian gentiles kings and israelites you you have uh paul in the process of doing just that in this this passage he's appearing before gentiles with the roman soldiers he's already been to gentile towns uh he's appeared to the in front of israelites multiple times with the jewish communities we're seeing they're in an uproar about him and he's going to eventually appear before uh king festus uh, as, as he's on his uh way way to rome and as the narrative of acts unfolds and seeing the gospel go to the uttermost parts of the earth and see Rome is kind of this, this central uh, influential city among, among the nations. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this, uh, this appeal to citizenship that Paul makes really, uh, really is the mechanism that God uses to get him all, all the way to Rome and to fulfill this, this um, sequence of events that Jesus promised uh, would happen as he uh, bears witness about him before rulers um, and nobles and and Gentiles uh, um, in, in general. So we, we need to pay attention to uh, key movements like this in, in, the, in the narrative scope of, of Luke's works, both his gospel and in, and in Acts. One other thing before we start talking about what difference this passage should make is really about the dynamics that we see in this passage um, with the Jewish leaders condemning a an innocent Jewish teacher. Like, what do we need to know about those dynamics? Well, again, this is a case where Luke's design in the narrative is evident. Uh, uh, Paul's being mistreated 
falsely accused by these Jewish leaders in much the same way that, that Jesus was. Uh, Jesus was, was falsely accused or at least misunderstood. Um, he was uh, charged with uh, violating the Sabbath. Uh, they misunderstood what he was teaching about the temple and saying that it, that it would be destroyed, that he would raise it up again in three days, and, and saying that he was the son of man who will be seated at the right hand of power. Uh, he just affirmed that, yes, I am, I am claiming to be that son of man, and they charged him with blasphemy. They just didn't realize that what he was saying was true in that case. But nonetheless, we're seeing misunderstanding. We're seeing false accusation, uh, not only of Jesus, but as Acts unfolds, also directed toward Paul. So what happened to Jesus happens to Paul and, and, and Luke is wanting us to make that, that connection. You see things like the interaction with that, with the high priest and how uh, both were slapped or struck on the face for how they uh, didn't speak properly uh, to, to the high priest, at least according to the, the, the Jewish um, uh, crowd there. Uh, the Roman officials with both in the cases of both men, both Jesus and Paul, they, they couldn't find fault in him. You think of that was Pilate's conclusion. Uh, and you, you, you here have the, uh, the, the Roman tribune saying that, you know, we can't find out what's wrong that this, that this man did. And as a result of not being able to find a legitimate charge against him, uh, the Jew, this Jewish, Jewish council and, the, and, the, and their uh, followers, they, they seek uh, to kill Paul they conspire against him much like they conspired to find a way to kill Jesus and didn't give him a f fair trial. They even mislead the, or they attempt to mislead the, uh, the, the, the Roman uh, tribune here about what, what, what their intentions were as far as uh, prolonging the trial so that they would have more access to Paul in hopes of, in hopes of killing them. So in both cases, we're seeing God's providence at work uh, to advance his purposes and to advance the, the kingdom of God. And, Th those who sought Jesus' life, they weren't able to arrest or execute him until the proper time. You think in John's gospel, it wasn't yet the hour. Uh, the hour had not yet come for, for Jesus' uh, death. And then here with Paul, his, his time had not yet come. So he spared and the gospel is able to get all the way to sort of the, the, the peak of Gentile civilization, if we could call it that, uh, with, with the gospel going forth to Rome and him testifying uh, to Jesus there, uh, but very, very interesting things to consider and very appropriate for us to be talking about this on the hero of the story that even in light of Jesus coming, we're seeing how uh, Jesus' own followers like Paul point us back back to Jesus and how he's still at the center uh, of the story with these, these echoes of, of what transpired in his life and ministry. That leads us into into some guidance for our listeners in terms of working through this passage from a di discipleship perspective. Um, you've already heard quite a bit, and I mean, especially here that it's like we can't forget that um, everything ultimately comes back to comes back to Jesus um, in one way, shape, or form. And so, Josh, you've done a great job of illustrating of, of helping us see that in this in this passage. Um, you know. As we get started, I think that there's one big thing that uh, that I want to make sure that our listeners get uh, get out of this passage. In addition to that, and and this one first of all is that uh, let's let's not make vows or solemn curses that we can't keep. Um, I, th <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, I think that that should be should be a, 
a good one for us. It should be something that's pretty easy for us to do. Maybe yeah, good general principle in life. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, think about it. You know, we see these, we see this group of, uh, this group of Jews who, who vowed not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. And unfortunately for them, they failed because they didn't get to kill him. Right. Right. <laughs> so what do they do? Well, they're being consistent they're just gonna keep not eating or drinking and never eat or drink again which means they're gonna right. die um, <laughs> and josh correct me if i'm wrong but uh uh i i believe that uh, those who those who intentionally make vows they can't keep and break them uh and break those vows uh they're to be put out of the jewish religious community altogether and possibly stoned to death yeah, that's a that's a irony of this, and we, you know, the Jews might not have been practicing that in a strict way at, at this time. There, there's a lot just because of for practical reasons, it wasn't always feasible to carry out all aspects of the of the law of Moses in terms of um, the civil punishments it it uh, yeah. sanctioned because they were under uh, foreign rule. But nonetheless, it's showing that this um, that they are inconsistent by their own standards, and so there there's an element of, of irony there and it also picks up on this theme that we see with uh Gamaliel, his words about you know if this movement is of god you guys aren't going to be able to stop it you're not going to be able to contain it and and so this 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 these great circumstances that have come about to protect paul from this uh jewish crowd uh these these are so extravagant it, it would be hard to deny that this is just divine providence working working things out in paul's favor uh, and for the for the sake of the, the gospel's uh, advancement, uh, it, it's one of the, it's one of those it's one of those things it's one of those things where uh, you you can't deny the the, the um, uh, extraordinary way that the that the Roman government of all people uh, are uh, going going out of their way to protect Paul. This wasn't a common experience when someone who I uh, was at the center of some sort of controversy uh, during the days of, of various empires. They, yeah. they weren't, they wouldn't receive this preferential sort of, sort of treatment. Right. Even Jesus didn't get that. So, right. Right. Yeah. So I guess there's a, the, the, so in this, the, you know, as we're saying, you know, don't make vows you can't keep. Um, I, I mean, really, if we had to boil this down to something that's a little bit, uh, a little bit glib, I mean, really, the the big takeaway that we can help one another with is is don't be dumb. So mm -hmm. the now the more biblical way to say that is 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 really to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, the we're actually told don't make vows at all. <laughs> um, right before we're told that it's just just do what you say you're going to do, as opposed to as opposed to not. So, friends, don't make vows just just be straight um, yeah. and definitely don't vow not to eat or drink and um <laughs> until you kill someone because i mean that's a and if you are planning on doing that uh maybe go talk to someone because yeah i'm gonna run that issue one, there buy some some wisdom outside outside of yourself yeah. on that one Absolutely. just like you'll hear stories of people say i'll never um, relocate to this city in order to do ministry or mission work and then yeah. Well, old years later, sometime later, God calls that person absolutely to obvious circumstances to, to go to this place. So yeah, yeah be yeah. be wise with your words and with and with your uh, commitments. Yep. 
Um, you know, it's just like how, you know, how in political seasons, when something goes the way that people don't want, they always vow uh, that if it doesn't, that they're going to move to Canada. And as a Canadian, I would just like to say, please remember, and regard this is regardless of where you stand. I see this regardless of where people are on the political spectrum. They always point to Canada. And it's like, please remember, Canada is actually its own country. Um, there, there are rumors to the contrary, but we actually are. We have rules, and it's actually really hard to get in. So, so, so don't be foolish with that. Now, uh, let's actually let's actually try to be helpful for real. <laughs> here uh with these last couple of bits uh so josh how about you take the lead on that yeah uh as we alluded to earlier and we weren't we didn't want to unpack it too much since we were trying to stay within the the purview of the the text uh, but uh, there there's a place as paul uh models for us here for respectfully and i stress the word respectfully fighting for our religious rights uh, in front of uh, government officials um seeking to promote uh laws standards um, policies that uh, protect and preserve people's religious freedoms. And uh, we so we have grounds, even Paul do, does this. Uh, so we have biblical grounds for pursuing this end, but we should also trust God even when those, those sorts of appeals don't, don't work out to our uh, earthly good, if we could put it that way. Uh, we should trust God in spite of uh, abusive treatment that we might receive from government authorities or, or any party uh, really. And so human government does have its place. There's a God-ordained function, uh, as uh, Romans 13 talks about, that the, the law was put in place uh, to punish evildoers, that the, that the civil government doesn't bear the sword in vain, as it were. Jesus talked about rendering to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God, the things that belong to God. So there, there's a place, there's a sanction, there's a legitimacy to human government uh, to promote peace, to restrain evil. Uh, but it also has its limits, and we should always, as, as Christians, be uh, concerned and interested in what government requires of people or expects of people when it comes to religion, and specifically what sort of religious practices will they allow, what will they interfere with, uh, is there any sort of uh, obligatory uh, worship as there would have been in the in the Roman Empire uh, as far as emperor worship went and offering incense to to emperors as um, divine on, on some level representing their pantheon of of, of, of gods uh, and so uh, we always uh, even in our own context where religion's not necessarily as invoked but there are still religious freedoms built into our our um, our con constitution and our understanding of civil civil rights and those we would say those are those are good and healthy and uh, different Christian traditions have over the years because the church has existed in a lot of different contexts with different uh, given authorities different uh, models and systems of government in in place so we've inherited different understandings in our various traditions and denominations of what the appropriate relationship is between. Uh, church and state, what what role uh, does the civil government have in church life and what sort of influence should the church have uh, on on civil civil government? And uh, in the in the Baptist tradition, which a lot of our listeners might be belong to, uh, there's this ideal of a free church and a free state and that the church uh, doesn't have power over the state, but the state doesn't have uh, direct power o over the church. They're there to promote laws that protect citizens, 
uh, that protect people's property, uh, but they're not there to tell people how to how to worship and where to worship, when to worship, anything like like that. And so the the Baptist ideal, uh, as, as it's called, uh, this this free church and a free state, it's it's not there mainly because uh, we just want to make things easy on ourselves and we want. Uh, the government to actively endorse and promote our particular um, religion, our understanding of what uh, what what a church should look like, uh, but it's it's there so that we can preach and promote the gospel without fear of interference from the mm-hmm. state. So that means that not only will we argue for the Baptist freedom to uh, baptize believers alone and the Presbyterians freedom to baptize the, the children of believers or any other uh, people who come from traditions who practice infant baptism. Well, we, we don't want the state interfering with, with those sort of practices. We want people to be able to act out of their own conscience, uh, what they think the scripture teaches, uh, what they think is true and right uh, with concern of that. But also we'll, we'll fight for the Hindu or the Muslims right to practice their religion uh within within the boundaries of our nation and so we we just as we want um and i realized by invoking islam there's a lot of debates there about uh you know can you have islam exist within a free state so we can't get in that today but as far as individual rights though uh we we want to we want to be equal we want to practice uh, equal opportunity for people to practice their 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 religion yeah. uh, and and to promote what they they think is the right way of looking at things the right way of looking at the world the right way to 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 worship god and not have the government sanction one or give preferred treatment uh over the other so paul's concern for his rights here uh i think match well with that spirit as i said the the, the baptist ideal of a free church and a, and a free state where the his appeal mainly concerned uh, his ability to go go forward and preach the gospel it wasn't just about uh, giving him an easier, cozier life. It wasn't about just preserving the status quo, quo, using his religious rights to just make sure everybody lives and agrees with uh, things in a way that makes him continually comf- comfortable being what he is. Uh, which, which we might find in today's culture, a lot of a lot of the culture wars are more about preserving a certain status quo as opposed to really care, caring about the, the advancement of the gospel. And Paul wasn't doing this uh, appeal uh, with, the, with the Roman government either to gain the upper hand in a culture war. And so this, is, this isn't really where we would turn to in scripture to promote that sort of idea, to sort of uh, re-Christianize the, the, the culture, but rather uh, see that there's a place where we can appeal to our rights, but we do so with more of an outward look than a, than an inward work, less about yeah. self-preservation and more about gospel promotion. If we can yeah. put it that way. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and that really feeds into the final thing, uh, that is probably a good, a good piece of, uh, encouragement for our listeners, which is that, uh, as we, if we're going to take something away from this passage, it should be that, uh, while we, aren't required to seek out persecution and and I think it's I think it's fair to say we should not seek out persecution. Uh, we also should not be surprised when it happens because it happened to Paul, it happened to Jesus before him as well and it's that means it's going to happen to us. 
Um, so, and in fact, Jesus himself said that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He said that in John 15, 20. And so Luke's narrative in, uh, in his gospel and in Acts really highlights for us, um, really clearly the, um, ways to suffer well for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so we should be prepared to follow suit. Um, again, not seeking it out, but be ready for it, um, mm-hmm. because we see this, that Paul, strength, uh, Paul strengthening the disciples by encouraging them uh, to continue in the faith and telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so, um, so if Paul was encouraging believers in that respect, he's also encouraging us, too. And he's not just doing it with words like we see in Acts 14, but he's seeing, but we're seeing it in the way the narrative carries out or plays out in Acts as well. Um, that we see that he wasn't just saying this; he was living. He was living that, and he acknowledged his call from the Lord to be one who was going to suffer, and he suffered well. And so, gospel ministry, pursuing people for the kingdom of God, that truly is worth suffering for. And um, so while again, we don't seek it out, let's let's embrace whatever it is that God gives us to the best of our abilities. So which is not grinning and bearing it, but saying if this is if this is the the cup that has been handed to me, mm-hmm. uh, then I'm gonna drink it. Yeah, that's, so. that's a that's a good way to to I think close things out, and I think it's an appropriate application of Acts because Acts uh, by the end of chapter twenty eight ends in this sort of open ended way, mm-hmm. where it's as if the apostles are passing the baton to us to continue in their ministry. So if they suffered for the sake of the gospel, if they sought whatever means they could to uh, protect and, and promote the advancement of the gospel, so so should we, and we shouldn't be surprised when we experience resistance and hardship uh, as we as we promote that same gospel message josh thanks for talking about this passage with me today this has been this has been a lot of fun and listeners uh thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast if you enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on the platform that you listen to it on and uh, for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com